welcome back to another episode of T-10, the show with 10-minute takes on the future of education and healthcare. I'm your host, Tim Fitzpatrick. On today's episode of T-10, you'll hear from Drs. Dave Mitten and Michael Hasselberg, co-directors of the University of Rochester's Health Lab. Dr. Mitten is an orthopedic surgeon and associate professor of biomedical engineering. Michael is a psychiatric nurse practitioner by training, was recently named the top 50 in digital health by Rock Health, and serves as the health system's first chief digital health officer. The health lab is a pretty fascinating place, and there's quite a few gems in this conversation, but the one that stuck with me is how Dave describes the health lab's ethos, that education is the flywheel of innovation. Their multidisciplinary team is exploring a long list of tech-enabled opportunities from VR surgical training and 3D imaging to apps and wearable sensors, all in the name of driving impact and value across the system. Without further ado, please enjoy my first group conversation with the UR Health Lab co-directors, Dave Mitten and Michael Hasselberg. All right, I am excited. This is my first time doing a group talk. Michael, Dave, really good to have you on. Thank you for joining me on T-10. Thanks for having us, Tim. Yeah, Super great. excited. Great to be here, Tim. Awesome. Well, I, I want to I want to make sure that we we do this justice, and uh, by that I mean we have a lot of ground to cover. Uh, so first first thing first, I want to make sure we talk about Rochester, where the two of you work, kind of what your roles are, um, and you know, kind of give people an idea of who you are. And it's been a while since since we connected, and there's there's a ton that in the past you've told me about that you've worked on in the field of education, uh, innovation, how you think about professional development. But uh, please, if you would, just kind of give us an idea, Dave, first, and then, Michael, what, what you do what you're in your day job up at Rochester. Yeah, well, the University of Rochester is this great place. And probably the thing we're most famous for is the biopsychosocial model of medicine. It came out from a guy named Engel, Dr. Engel, in the 70s, published in Science. And we're really famous for looking at the whole patient and looking, you know, biological, psychological, and social, really looking at people as a meteorological event in a combination of those three. And the health lab and Michael and I come out of that ethos, really trying to change healthcare, looking at everything and not just looking at the broken spring, let's say, we're looking at it as a patient as a complex interplay. We now kind of talk about social determinants and, and those things are really go back to our history and how we were trained. That's how I started out as a physician. I worked with a guy named John Romano, who's one of the fathers of that biopsychosocial model. And the health lab is really the, the, the simplest way to put it. We're trying to make that framework of the biopsychosocial framework into an actual scientific model, really putting scientific value and predictability behind those concepts. Uh, it's gotten to be quite popular and we're pretty proud to be maybe the institution that started that all off. Amazing history. I love it, Dave. I'll definitely come back to you with a question on how you think about that in, the, in an application with, with training. But thank you. Awesome. Michael. Oh, thanks, Tim. Uh, so Michael Hasselberg, uh, first and foremost, I'm a nurse. Very, very proud of, of my nursing background and went on, got a nurse practitioner degree and then a PhD after that. My, my claim to fame was uh, developing a telemedicine program before telemedicine like was a thing or cool and kind of spread it across all of New York State and got to a point where like I, I couldn't grow it any further and it had nothing to do with reimbursement or regs. I figured all that out. I just couldn't graduate psychiatrists fast 
fast enough to take on more patients and spoke sites. And then I got connected to this guy, Dave uh, Mitten, uh, and he just blew my mind. You know, here's this orthopedic surgeon um, who was starting an innovation group uh, out of orthopedics, which ended up morphing into the health lab. And, you know, partnering with Dave, I started thinking about mobile apps and VR and AR applications and machine learning. Um, over time, you know, really partnered with Dave to grow the health lab across our whole university. And then this thing called COVID uh, hit all of us. And uh, uh, our health system, like most health systems in the country, we did not have a digital health strategy. And um, our CEO tapped me on the shoulder and uh, asked if uh, I could help uh, work with others to develop that strategy. And so now in my current role, I, I serve as the chief digital health officer uh, for the University of Rochester and um, really kind of get to think about long-term digital transformation strategy and then continue to spend time with Dave on really the innovation uh, side of the house. Well, it must be a lot of fun. And I know that uh, I want to, I definitely want to dive into the health lab and kind of where Dave, maybe a bit of your personality and your way of collecting skills <laughs> over the years uh, led to kind of the formation, how you think about multidisciplinary collaboration in generally speaking as, as the health lab and kind of its ethos and mission. Um, but maybe we can start with Dave, an example of where you and I know you think about professional development within orthopedics. Uh, maybe let's let's start to weave in where education and thinking about training. Um, where are you seeing applications of having to think a little differently in, in those contexts? Yeah, so I did two residencies. I'm an orthopedic surgeon and a plastic surgeon, and they're really technique-based specialties. And teaching techniques needs sort of immediate feedback. It's a different way of learning and learning those skills are, are taught differently. We're seeing really two main areas of change in orthopedics. One is simulation. We have a lot of technical simulators with haptic feedback and the technology and using VR to train residents to develop that three-dimensional space ability and also being able to you know, disassociate where you're looking in your hand motion. And that has been a huge change and that's given us sort of a new way to grade performance. We've really never had a way to grade how good of a surgeon you are. We can now do that. And um, that is completely changing the way we train our residents. We have a huge simulation lab. Most places do now. And now you're starting to see this idea of, well, once you reach competency with scoping a knee or doing a arthroscopy of a knee, how many more do you need to do in a residency? And maybe we should be more on a proficiency-based uh, training schedule than a time-based schedule. We think that there's probably a lot of time wasted during residency, redoing things that are not really beneficial to the, to the learner. And so we're really seeing a push now towards these really cool uh, technologies around grading performance and then maybe doing education based off of that. Amazing. And how has that adjusted? Are you kind of still on the stage of, of seeing where the data lie and, and pushing towards the proficiency side? Or have you made any determinations on shortening or lengthening or, or diving in further in certain segments of the training piece? Or how, how has the tech kind of enabled you to think about that? Tim, there's no question it needs to be shortened. We, we waste a lot of time. Residencies are far too long for most individuals. And it's an expensive process and is way too long. So I think we're really going to start seeing a push as we get the ability to sort of model uh, performance and actually predict 
and understand how people how the residents learn, we're going to find that we're spending way too much time doing the same thing over and over. Then it's not really beneficial, and it probably speaks to an old system where we're leveraging the work of the resident, uh, paying them less money, and make the systems making money off of them. And I think those days will change as we go to value based healthcare. The value of the resident will start to count as well. Amazing. Well, I'm you know excited for for you, and obviously all that means for your your residents and residents of Rochester in particular. Uh, and I, I would imagine that you know, that's transferable beyond orthopedics. I would imagine you know that, that just a guess, but it, is that accurate to, to think that this could foreseeably end up in other areas as well? Yeah. So one one of our professors in our lab is a pediatrician working on a multi center study looking at how the EHR predicts what exposure various residents have had to topics and even starting to grade their proficiency in treating things like sepsis in a child and sort of starting to understand that we can use this EHR to actually start to develop metrics around performance of residents. Um, So yeah, it completely transforms and, uh, you know, it kind of starts in one niche area in healthcare. We solve one problem and then it often transfers to others. So totally see that happening. And we have some folks in the lab doing that exact same thing. Oh, that's awesome. So, Michael, now I, I know that um, I've, I've listened to you talk in the past and you've I, I love the example. You you gave in at least one example where the Borders team, the, the founding brothers, uh, disrupted retail uh, until they were themselves were disrupted. And I, I kind of picture you and Dave in the health lab thinking about, you know, you mentioned you were early on the telehealth bandwagon and then you were there ahead of the head of the game. And now you're you have a chance as in your new role as the, the inaugural chief digital health officer to be, to be thinking about these challenges and, and kind of assembling resources, I would imagine, to, to go after some of these, these pain points. Um, where are you finding these opportunities? Like, how are you thinking about prioritizing given there is a, a new push, it seems, for digital health, and, but how do we, how do we assess uh, ROI or value or what is a top priority for the system what goes through your mind when you're doing that process? And I guess, where does it fit into the health labs kind of ethos? Yeah, great question, Tim. So, you know, the way we break down our digital transformation strategy at Rochester, it's actually pretty simple. Um, it, it really falls into three main buckets. And in the first bucket where we've spent the last two years of our health systems effort has been on access and really kind of focus on that. I know it's a cliche at this point in time, that digital front door. How do we allow patients to use their own devices, smartphones, computers, tablets to access us in the health system. So we spent a lot of time focusing on building out our patient portal, you know, building out online scheduling and setting up that kind of e-check-in experience. Uh, um, And then we actually pivoted back to telemedicine. And when I say pivoted back, again, we have a proud history of telemedicine at Rochester well prior to the pandemic. And like every health system in the country, as soon as the pandemic hit, we had to turn on telemedicine for the whole health system in like a week wasn't seamless, wasn't perfect, but it was good enough. Where we had a pivot back to telemedicine was around on-demand care and the ability for a patient to say, I've got this minor urgent care issue and I need to see a doctor right now. Um, The ability to provide that care virtually, um, our previous telemedicine structures didn't allow us to do that. So we had to kind of stand that up and really started getting into the kind of the retail side 
side uh, of healthcare and allowing patients to uh, essentially pay for their telemedicine out of pocket. We've then started to move past our digital front door and we're moving into the, I would call the, the second bucket of our strategy, which is really focused on patient engagement. Um, and this is the idea of, okay, now the patient's in your health system using technology. How do you keep them engaged, not only in care within the health system, but just engage in health promotion in general using technology. We know that this is going to require, you know, multi-different uh, technology modalities to achieve this. And so things that we're thinking about in this part of our strategy is digital care pathways and, you know, prescribing education out to our patients in digital formats. Uh, we're thinking about mobile apps. Um, uh, we're thinking about VR and AR applications that can be prescribed out of the electronic health record. And then we're thinking about, as Dave said, social determinants of health. You know, we've got significant transportation issues in some of our rural communities surrounding the medical center. And so how do we prescribe out rideshare opportunities for our patients? Now, the really kind of key thing um, uh, to our strategy is very similar to what Borders was doing when they were disrupting retail and then when they got disrupted by Amazon. And it really then kind of falls to the data behind all of these technologies. So the last part of our strategy is what we define as value. And that is, you know, really allowing our health system to move to value-based care and developing what we call a smart health system. So now how do you leverage all of this new data that you're collecting from the digital front door, from digital uh, um, patient engagement? How do you aggregate it in one place into an enterprise data warehouse? Um, and then how do you get to use all those kind of cool machine learning and artificial intelligent al algorithms to essentially match the right patient to the right provider at the right time and in the right place. And so in parallel to our digital transformation strategy, we have an enterprise data warehouse strategy and we're breaking down all of our data silos. We're putting the data in one place. We're pulling in all of this new data on patients we've never collected before. And you know, our hope is in a couple of years from now, we can leverage our data scientists at our university to develop our own Amazon recommendation algorithm, but for healthcare. I mean, this is amazing. And, and uh, just for context, kind of like point in time context, uh, just how much healthcare is changing right now. You know, if we, we look at the headlines and this uh, just for, for posterity, this is September 2022. Uh, if you look at any of the headlines in the last month and the next month, we, we can see, we can feel people talking about little aspects of what you just laid out, but seeing that there's a comprehensive strategy and, and, and that people like yourselves are kind of working on it and thinking years in the future. And I would point out that Rochester is unique in the sense that you're your own health system, your own insurer, largest employer in the region. Like you actually have ways of, of tackling this that most people just aren't really thinking about. Um, so, Dave, I, yeah, you know, Tim, I, I just want to build off of this because Michael's point is awesome. And so let's how do you do that? Right. So Michael just gave you a great idea. The health lab is how we do this. And, you know, Amazon was about bringing the originally the author and the reader together. We're about bringing the provider and the patient together in healthcare. And there it turns out there's a huge untapped potential of our patients that we're not taking advantage of and a huge untapped potential of our providers. 
And what we do is we sort of find the providers that think we can do better. They, you know, they're not getting their, they're not satisfied where healthcare is right now. We're certainly not getting our value. They believe in the biopsychosocial model and they believe technology can make it better. And we put that together with providers and really train the next generation of digitally enabled providers that can take those concepts and then execute on what Michael just said. That's the sweet spot because it's great to have these ideas and strategy, but we know culture eats strategy for lunch. And we need the right culture. And our, what we, I think, more important than anything is we find the right people, give them the right resources, and create a new culture around these concepts. And I think that's where we've been really successful. I think it's – so, Dave, I really appreciate you kind of jumping in and putting the cap on that because it's it's rare to find people who have such a macro position, role, set of responsibilities, thinking so tactically about how to really – allow stakeholders in the organization to to work at levels that they previously didn't realize were possible by giving them the right information at the right time. Like these these are things that just are so rarely understood or articulated. Uh, so I really appreciate the two of you. And I'd la- to just kind of finish up in closing thoughts here from each of you, I'd love to know, obviously, Michael, your background as uh, in nursing and now having a leadership role. And then Dave, you've had uh, two different of residencies and multiple specialties, and obviously you're a developer and a, kind of a wizard in the tech side on the back end. Um, what are each of you, I'm curious, most excited about in terms of whether it's projects or areas or you, know, you listed a, a ton of opportunities, Michael, over the next several years. You know, is there some area where you think there will be outsized potential through the lens of education as it happens across your system and this can be something small, it could be a macro trend, but I just want to kind of hear from each of you where where you see that opportunity and where you're kind of leaning in over the next couple of years. I see Michael smiling, smiling. so let, let's let him go first. You know, Tim, one of the kind of unique things about Rochester compared to pretty much every other academic medical center left in the country is we, as a health system, are still attached to our parent universities. So what that means is our health system budget rolls up to our university's budget. So the downside of that is it it takes a lot more effort on our health system side to achieve those 1% to 2% positive annual margins a year because a lot of our money on our health system is going over to support the college. The positive and what we look at as the differentiator is we get to leverage the expertise of our engineers, our computer scientists, our business school, our data science institute, and even our school of music. And we get to take this team approach to education and we get to partner all of those resources with our clinicians and then really again take kind of a design thinking approach to solving these difficult problems in healthcare like that is super cool and you can't find that really any place else in the country then to take it a step forward you know we were uh, had this opportunity recently as a group to meet um this uh, a, a entertainment producer out of L.A. Her name is Ari Mostoff. And so uh, Ari, um, 
really uh, uh, successful TV producer who pivoted to healthcare. And, you know, she connected to our lab and started uh, um, coming, teaching us this lens of looking at healthcare through an entertainment and a storytelling lens. And that has really then taken this multidisciplinary incubator that we have to a whole nother level. So now we're really thinking about what's the story we're trying to tell. And Ari's helped us, uh, um, you know, learn that, which is, I think the really exciting part going forward is going to be storytelling in healthcare and making kind of that bridge of the humanities to the, the kind of STEM science side of what we do. Dave, your yeah, take? Well, okay, I'll build off of that. I'll take that and run. So Tim, let's bring it back to why we're here today, what we're talking about education. You know, we have a saying, education is the flywheel of innovation. And we are all learners in our lab. And it doesn't matter if you're a high school student, college student, we have everybody from all levels. And we, what we find is when you take people and put them to a meaningful task and getting to use their potentials, it's the best thing. And probably our best KPI is retention. There are many faculty that are still at the university because they get to work with us, learn new skills, and to get to do what they wanted to do and make healthcare better. And, you know, education is the driver and we are desperately trying to figure out new methods for education. And as Michael said, a lot of times it's storytelling and we think there's a contagion in our system right now. The story being told about healthcare by some sides of the, uh, the political landscape maybe aren't telling the true story. And we have to fix that contagion and tell, you know, we're science-based, evidence-based, and we got to get back to that original story, and that's through education. So, you know, we're thrilled to be part of a podcast thinking about education. We think about it all the time, and it is literally the energy that gets us going in the morning. So thanks for inviting us. This is, I mean, what a note to go out on. What is the story we're telling? Education is the flywheel of innovation. Um, no better home for this conversation than T-10. I can't thank the two of you enough for, for coming on, for joining me, for sharing what you're working on. And Obviously, I, I wish you the very best. I'm so excited to, to follow your, your, your progress over the next few years. And thank you again for, for coming on the show. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Real pleasure. Mm -hmm.